now, it's Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard, Certified Accountant, Stockbroker and Financial Planner. And today, Stephen, we're going to take another look at superannuation with Ian Moranti from Nationwide Superannuation Fund. Some of the things we always want to know that's on the plan. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to talk about um, some of the most commonly asked uh, questions and, and most of these revolve around life events and changes in lifestyle. What's happening as far as commodities and things It's especially are important to take good care of your finances, Jane. Especially. Especially important. Right. So how are they travelling? How's gold going? So gold, the gold price is down $11.03 on the week to $1,645 an ounce. That's quite a lot, isn't it, for gold? Uh, uh, it's been going up, but it's you know, come back. Okay. Um, and it's probably in relation to Donald's speech that everything's going to be okay. You know? um, the, the, Didn't the, know you were in first, time, first name terms with hell, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, the copper price is $8,712 a tonne, which is up $322 a tonne. And the crude oil price is $112.48 a barrel, which is up 365 a barrel. Now, the crude oil price has been going up um, for quite a while now, so mm. yeah, and I expect it's going to go higher. Mm-hmm. Mm. What, with the holidays? Well, no, not the holidays doesn't affect start. the crude oil price. No, no I, I, I mean, it it's the, the, the US government's... Um, sanctions on Iran's um, stopping them selling the selling their crude oil into the world market, and, and as a consequence, the price is going. Or one of the reasons the price is going up. Okay. Um, and the US dollar, um, we we were down against the US dollar to seventy two point six. Um, against the Great British Pound, we're up to uh, fifty five point one two pence against the New Zealand dollar we're also up to one dollar and nine and and against the euro we're down against the euro to 61.79 euro cents. Is that a bit of a reflection on Europe's um, opinion of uh, Brexit? Both well, what, well what that's saying is that Britain's going to be better exiting Brexit. <laughs> okay. Well, the, US, the, the, the Great British Pound's going up. If you go interpret like that, the Great British Pound's going up and the euro dollar, and the euro is going down, right. and if that was the only factor that was influencing that, you'd have to say that the world currency markets are saying Britain's the winner and the, Euro- the Europeans are the losers. And that's probably not necessarily a, a determinable as It's yet. probably good for us. It it's probably well good be. for us. More trade outlets. Yeah. Um, and the oil orange market, um, well, overall, you know, overall, there was hardly any movements in the currency. We're talking about fractions of a cent across okay. the here. Mm. The, um, uh, the oil orange um, was up 30 points on the week to 6,307. Um yeah, there's really not much movement there either. The S&P 500 was down 24.8 points to 2,905. The UK, um, the UK uh, FTSE index was up 144.2 points, which was 7,511, which is almost 2%. So, so the UK markets actually had the biggest move in percentage terms, hmm. uh, whereas in Australia we're talking about less than half a percent. And uh, in Japan, the the Nikkei was up 358 points to 24,033. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what about some of uh, some, some the local, favourite stocks? Some of the local favourite stocks. Um, BHP was up uh, uh, $1.73 on the week to 34.5. Uh, CBA was down $1.70 to 70 point. 
18, $70.18, $70.18. Uh, NIB was down two cents to $5.82. And, and Telstra was up five cents, surprisingly, to $3.19. Mm-hmm. And the the thing you've been waiting for is the unleaded fuel price is $1.49.5 in Newcastle and $1.48.6 in uh, Sydney, up one cent in Newcastle and up three cents in Sydney okay, compared thanks. to last week. Uh, the diesel price is $1.57 in Newcastle, $1.55 in Sydney, up uh, 1.3 cents a litre in Newcastle. Mm, okay, uh, look at... So you've already filled up. Henry Jennings from the Marcus Today Financial Newsletter and Stephen Pritchard. We're taking a look at the market. Hi, Henry. Hi, Stephen. How are you? Good. I'm getting all ready for the long weekend. Oh, yeah? Yes. I wish I could say the same thing. Well, you've just got back from holidays. I know, I know. We have this bizarre situation where it's a holiday in Victoria tomorrow because oh, they right. have a football game on the weekend and we have a holiday on Monday, but the markets are open both days, so I suspect I'll be working both days. Uh, That's always, uh, always a fun time of year. I forgot about that. Mm. Now you remind me, yes. Oh, well, but there won't be any. I, I, I don't even know why it opens. There'll be hardly any trade. No, I know. But we get complaints at the newsletter if we, if we close when the markets are open. Okay. Okay, well, I'll think of you as I have a drink, Henry. You, you think of me. Yeah, I will. <laughs> uh, so, AGL... Yes. Uh, AGL's pushing ahead with the closure of Liddell despite opposition by the federal government? Um, it is, yes. It's sticking to its guns, I guess, if that's a good thing. They had their um, AGM yesterday. There was plenty of protesters out in uh, in force. Um, they're also, um, you know, they, they're in the paper today, they're talking about a perfect storm of stuff-ups uh, as the European, as the Victorian regulator uh, is fining them three million bucks for not meeting its carbon emissions. Um, and, of course, the, uh, the controversial CEO, Andy Vesey, um, has announced he's going to um, take his bat and ball and go home. Yes. So um, it's been a bit of a torrid time for um, for AGL, and it doesn't really seem to be getting any better, I have to say. So, yeah, stock price is off again today. So how much is he getting? Um, they haven't actually disclosed, but I imagine it's quite a... Um, I think your trails are a huge amount of money. Mm. They usually do. Yes, and uh, they usually do. Like George Trumbull. Oh, George Trumbull is a blast from the past. Yeah. Yes. I wonder if Justin Milne will get a huge payout now that he's gone from the ABC. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, perhaps you could go over and manage it. Well, we need. We I think there needs to be a new MD and a new chairman. There's probably time for a couple of new prime ministers as well before they appoint one of those. So. Oh, okay. Plenty of change. And so Coronado Global Resources has issued a prospectus um, to raise $1.39 billion to invest in various coal assets around the, around the world. Yeah, this is a US-based uh, company. It's going to be Australia's biggest coal mining float in six years. It's going to value the company at around $4.4 billion. So it's going to give investors, I guess, a bit of a, um, a choice between Whitehaven, um, New Hope, um, Yan Coal, which is not really um, that liquid, and uh, this new one. So um, it mainly produces uh, Met Coal. It has about...
about 8.2 million tonnes from three US mines, and uh, also has the Karaha mine in Western Australia, which it bought from West Farmers. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this one goes. There was lots of um, there was lots of hype about Viva Energy, um, and I got a sneaky suspicion that um, this might um, fall into the same overhyped basket, but we'll wait and see. I mean, the first thing I thought about is, why is a US coal miner listing in Australia? I guess they've got that Karar, um exposure and maybe that this is going to enable them to uh, to buy some more assets here. I'm not sure how many more assets there are. Um, Rio has sold most of its assets, so um, we'll wait and see. But, um, yeah, those, um, yeah, it's an odd one, isn't it? Mm. Um, maybe top-of-the-market stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can't raise the money in the US, so we're out here. Um, yeah. Uh, Santos, Santos, the company that was was on its knees not so long ago, is now Uh, aiming to double oil production by 2025. A very courageous minister, as they say in, uh, yes, Prime Minister, when when the Santos board knocked back the bid um, at around seven bucks, they've since gone uh, higher, but the the oil price has really uh, been helping them. Of course, Santos, very much geared to that oil price, had high levels of debt, um, has got itself out of the naughty corner because it was there for some time as it did have this huge amount of debt. Um, yesterday they had a big investor day. Um, the stock actually fell a little bit after the investor day. I don't know whether that was um, a function of the oil price or just a little bit of um, ho-humness on the investor day. But certainly um, it is going to produce, well, they say they're going to produce 100 million barrels of oil equivalent by the year 2025. They're putting a lot of faith in a thing they bought called Quadrant Energy, which has a project in the northwest shelf called Dorado, where they own 80% and Tiddler, um, Carnarvon Petroleum, which I have some shares in, owns the other 20%. Um, this is going to be a big uh, focus for them. They paid quite a lot of money, I think over $3 billion for uh, for Quadrant, which bought the old Apache assets. So um, that was very much one of the big sort of pushes that they had in yesterday in the Investor Day, along with the Cooper Basin turnaround. So um, they, they played it pretty well so far. Time will tell. But, um, you know, lots of people talking oil up to 100 bucks a barrel. Can you imagine what that's going to do to um, pump prices in Australia? They'll be $2.10 a litre. There will be a uh, Royal Commission, no doubt, um, when they get to $2.10. Um, and Mr Trump at the moment is trying desperately to, uh, to get OPEC to raise production and get prices down, but falling on deaf ears at the moment. Yes, yes, because if the oil price is in two dollars ten, that means the government take will be close to a dollar a litre. Yep, yep. I, I guess um, there, there is that, which I guess there's a silver lining for the budget, but it's not really going to do much for consumer sentiment and GST takings. Affinity Equity Partners is going to acquire Scottish Pacific. Now, Scottish Pacific didn't list so long ago, so... No, it didn't, and this this deal really kind of flew under the radar. Um, Scottish Pacific are kind of a um, a small business financer. They they lend money against invoices, so I guess it helps out with cash flows and and various other things. And these sorts of businesses are seen as potential winners from uh, the Hain Royal Commission, so it may have to be seen, of course, whether they are, but um, Affinity Equity raised about six billion bucks uh, recently to uh, to fund these sorts of acquisitions, and it's paid $630 million for the um, for the business. So um, I guess, you know, there's, there's plenty of M&A activity going on in our, um, in our market at the moment, especially given that this Royal Commission 
in the finance industry is probably going to throw up some sort of once in a once in a generation kind of opportunities and threats for the financial services industry. And clearly, Affinity uh, taking this as a, a good opportunity to uh, to add this business and, and maybe start to expand it out from uh, its traditional lending against invoices for small and medium enterprises. Mm, mm, they're not they're not actually cheap though. I'm sure they're not. I'm sure they're not. Um, and uh, uh, shave a shop. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was going to say there's a company in the UK called Wonga, uh, which was a payday lender. They charged up to 1,500% on their payday oh. loans per per annum, and um, they went bust. I would say that takes some doing to go bust if you're lending money at 1,500% per annum. Um, I think uh, they failed to send the boys round and do the kneecapping on mm. some of their uh, their wayward borrowers, but. Um, but, yeah, it's an interesting space. Mm, so 1,500% ended up minus 1,500. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. So shaver shops now are going to have uh, private label products to attract female customers. I mean, it's all yeah. been a bit of a disappointment, shaver shop. It has. It has. They have kind of, um, I wouldn't say turn the corner, but they have been showing signs of life. We looked at it in the newsletter as a buy. I have to say it's probably still on the uh, on the watch list rather than the action list um they have two two or three busy periods a year three really i guess they have father's day mother's day and christmas um and uh, those are their big periods you know it, it's it's been a bit of a, a struggle i have to say and they have tried to diversify away from just uh male products into female products and also uh, perfume and, and that sort of stuff so yet yeah, to bear a lot of fruit um, and it has been a pretty disappointing uh, float, I have to say. Yeah. So, not not one of the better ones. Retailing is not an easy game. No. And Linus Corp, which is the rarest, produces in problems again, it would appear, reviewed by the Malaysian Parliament. Yeah, I have to say, I've been a, been a fan of Linus for some time and finally threw in the towel this week. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the problem that they have is that um, they've got no plan B. Um, they have um, a, a very good mine in Australia which ships rare earths to Malaysia where it gets um, processed and, and uh, then they ship it out of Malaysia to, uh, to to Japan. The problem is there's always been a lot of local opposition to it and um, they managed to get the, the, uh, the what they call the LAMP, which is their, um, their processing plant up and running, but not without some serious kind of setbacks. And they've always uh, done pretty well by the locals. They employ lots of them. They've invested heavily um, and they've conform to all the local environmental standards, but the change in government in Malaysia has unleashed a force which is um, a little unpredictable in that um, you know, there's now going to be some inquiries into the environmental impacts of the rare earth plant, and there's also going to be some in, uh, inquiries into the tax treatment that Linus gathered uh, when they first uh, set out this, um, this, this processing plant in Malaysia. So there are risks, and unfortunately they don't have a plan B, so if if you have sovereign risk like this and, and suddenly the government uh, decides, you know what, guys, this is it, this is over, um, we're no longer going to let you do this, they are a little bit stuffed. Um, and we saw this, um, I guess, um, in a, well, not famously, but infamously, with a company called Kingsgate, which was a gold miner in uh, Thailand with a chartery project, and it had... Um, been doing all the right things environmentally and then the government basically closed it down and uh, what once was a very profitable gold mine for Kingsgate became a large hole in the ground that they could just stare at and so um, not, a, 
value again, but at the moment um, it has toppled from around two ten to about a dollar sixty um, on the back of this. And you know, I scoured the Malaysian newspapers, which is not something I normally do, and there certainly is a, a risk um, that um, something nasty could happen. Mm. Are they in English? Um, there is the Malaysian Star. Okay. Which, which is in English because my Malay my Malay is not particularly good. I have to say. I thought I'd learn something. I have to admit, um, Google Translate doesn't do it justice either. No, no, that doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> and then Invocare, just finishing up on Invocare. It's yep. uh, it's bought a small uh, funeral business in uh, Port Macquarie. Um, yep. They seem to be going down the acquisition trail and buying these small mm. businesses. Uh, uh, is, is there no large ones left? I suspect. No. Well, there's also some, uh, I guess, some ACCC issues. But, yeah, the quick and the dead uh, with Invocare, they have been on a bit of a spree recently. Um, they've been trying to turn the company around because they've had, they've, they have struggled, I have to say. They once were a market darling. Yep. They have struggled. Not enough people are dying, mm-hmm. which is um, a bad thing for Invocare, but a good thing for those people involved, <laughs> as we all are. Um, yes. And um, not enough people dying. And the other problem is that people are changing their funeral habits. So in the old days, it was a very somber affair, all the crematorium and then a few sausage rolls and a glass of wine. Now it's becoming a kind of a a life celebration. And, you know, they're they're trying to turn their funeral homes uh, into kind of... um, party central i guess for um mm. for those uh, bereaved that um want to celebrate someone's life um and uh, take it a bit more uh, towards a celebration than uh, than uh, than the um the nasty side of uh, of dying so that's that's been the transformation process they put in place it has cost them money and it is um does always um ensure there's some disruptions to normal service and they keep buying these little businesses which I guess is good for these little businesses I don't usually tell you how much they paid um, but um, it's hard for them to add on big ones because of ACCC things as the other player is Propel Funerals which is also another company that does the roll ups and buys sort of the mum and dad funeral parlour businesses, local funeral directors and uh, rolls them into their structure but um, stock has been under some pressure for some time and um, I think it will continue to, to um, see a little bit of pressure on it. Okay, well, thanks for, <coughs> thanks for that, Henry. We'll speak oh, to you. Stephen, you all right there? Yeah, I'm, I'm right. I've just got this bit of a cold or something, coughing yeah. away. Change of seasons. Yeah, yeah, well, it's cold and hot up here one day. For yeah, you I, I, I struggle to know what to put on in the mornings. Well, yeah, it's, it's, freezing. it's freezing of a night here. Yeah, it was freezing last night yeah. and freezing this morning. Yep. Time to take a look at superannuation, Stephen Pritchard, with Ian Moranti. Well, Ian's here to talk us about some some of the key life events that affect your superannuation. So, just starting out, what are some of the important life events that have an effect on your superannuation? Uh, some of the things that we need to consider, Stephen, are <coughs> changes in our personal circumstances, and we often don't think about how that might impact on our superannuation. So some of the things that we should be considering is, for instance, if we're starting a long-term relationship or we now have dependents, it might be the birth of children or taking on children during a uh, commencement of a a relationship. So uh, we need to consider, for instance, in that circumstance, do we need to change the insurance cover that we have available in our superannuation? Uh, Another change in our circumstances might be if we have more disposable income, if we're lucky enough to have a 
a pay increase or pay off a debt, we might be able to put some of that extra income into our superannuation, which then flows through to a larger retirement uh, payout. Uh, and it might be on the uh, other personal circumstances, the um, cessation of a long-term relationship uh, or the death of a, a partner. Do we need to change the death benefit nominations that we have uh, with our fund? So there's a, a number of circumstances and, and times when people should be thinking uh, what is the impact of those changes in our personal circumstances to our superannuation? So what happens if you actually do get divorced, for example? Uh, if you get divorced, um, the Family Law Act treats superannuation as an asset of the, uh, of the partnership and therefore it's subject to um, splitting and taking into account. So it may be that it ends up being... Uh, kept by one partner while another the other partner gets uh, more of another asset or it might be split on a whole dollar amount uh, basis or on a percentage basis. And so uh, superannuation funds would receive a request from uh, generally from one of the uh, lawyers involved with one of the partners to provide information and then as the uh, process continues with the uh, settlement then the fund would receive orders on uh, how the superannuation would be split. So that, that doesn't involve the payment of the money out the fund, it just involves an internal transfer between um, the two well, members? If, if one of the, uh, of course one of the partners would be a member of the fund, mm -hmm. the other partner may have their superannuation somewhere else mm -hmm. and in that case the money would be transferred to the, that other partner's fund but they wouldn't be able to access the super until they meet what's called a condition of release. Yep. Yep. So it may end up in their account, but it would not be necessarily accessible at the time of mm -hmm. that, that event happens. Mm -hmm. so, so that's all subject to the Family Law Court, basically, and the fund yes. just has to do what the Family Law Court says. Yes, although the, the fund is required to comply with its requirements, and so uh, generally if an order comes from the court, the fund has, um, say, 28 days in which to make sure that the uh, the order is in the, um, I suppose, the correct format, etc., and that the fund uh, details are correct, etc. Mm -hmm. And then what happens if someone dies? What happens to their superannuation then? Uh, superannuation, on the death of a, a member, um, the onus is on someone to claim the benefit. So normally the trustees of a super fund wouldn't automatically know that a member has died. Uh, therefore, uh, it's reliant on either the personal legal representative or uh, one of the beneficiaries to contact the fund, advise of the, uh, the death of the member, provide the relevant information, and then the benefit uh, would be paid out after it's been through a process of uh, assessing the rights of people that are claiming the benefit. So, if we spoke before, there's a lot of money that people have just died and no one's ever claimed and it's just been paid across to the tax office, is, is that right? Yes, uh, unfortunately that is the case and uh, I think it's important for uh, people to have with their, uh, their will, etc., uh, some details on their superannuation because uh, while some people might have dependents and family that are able to uh, look after them, uh, 
other people may not have anyone that's very close to them and therefore if no one knows about the superannuation then uh, it, it yeah, ends up at the tax office. And, and some of these balances can be quite significant, particularly if there's an insurance policy. Correct, involved, yes. Yeah. Yep. And speaking of insurance, how, how much do you actually think does a person need to... How do you, how do you actually work out how much insurance you need to have in the fund? I yeah. mean... This is always a complex question. It is. And one of the things that uh, we tend to think that insuring our house or our car uh, is an automatic thing, but one of the greatest assets we have is our own person, our ability to earn income. And therefore we need to look at uh, the different types of insurance, the death insurance or total and permanent disability insurance or income protection, which is available uh, in your superannuation. It's often at a very... Uh, economical uh, premium because it's being uh, provided on a mass basis for all the members of the fund. And so we should consider what would happen, for instance, if we uh, had to cease work permanently, how we uh, cover any expenses that we have, any debt, uh, where would the money come from. Uh, in the case of death, uh, do you have dependents that have been depending on your income or relying on your income, any debts that might need to be cleared? So it's taking into account those commitments that you would have if you stop work or in the case of your death and uh, seeing if you can make the insurance payout or cover that you have sufficient to either cover those completely or go a long way towards uh, covering them. Yeah, I mean, when people ask us, which is always a very difficult question to answer, is, is I always say you need at least the minimum insurance to pay out the, the home loan. Yes. Yeah, so I, I think that's the base you need. And then oh, other than that, you need to mm -hmm. consider what other options that you need to support for income for your dependents. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, people are a lot better off if they've just got, at least got the home loan mortgage cleared and Jane's telling us we, we, we've only got a minute left well better keep talking so we better call it so what do we want to just God, what was the last question um, okay so what can you do if the employer is not paying your super uh, the first thing you can do is approach the employer uh, or the ATO and uh, discuss the matter with them approaching the employer would depend on the relationship that you have with the employer and how you feel about that or you can contact the ATO and there is a, a, a period of time at the moment where employers can catch up with their super without facing the normal penalty. So if you're in that position, it's probably a good time to start uh, the discussion to see if you can catch up with any of those contributions. Yeah, so, so that's right. There's a... There's a, a An amnesty, amnesty period. Amnesty period, yeah. yeah. On employer super. So, yeah, there's a lot to know about superannuation. Extremely, yeah. 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 A lot of no we could talk for weeks, on this. We and can. we will no <laughs> doubt continue conversation later in the year. Thank you, Ian Moranti, and thank you, Stephen Pritchard. Thursday Finance will be back next Thursday. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Two NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business, and travel. You'll find them all at twonurfm.com.